Case of the Death Watch Beetle, an Aggie McPherson mystery and a shorthand missile tale by Matthew C. McLean. Melissa was pleased they were finally letting you touch menus again. All the QR codes and hands-up technology felt silly to her. If they were so afraid of the disease spreading through contact, why let people eat in restaurants? It didn't make sense. She looked over the menu while waiting for Sarah. Sarah wasn't a perpetually late person, but Melissa was early, and a few moments alone were welcome. It wasn't that she didn't love her life, her husband, children, the university job, but it could be overwhelming at times. A second to sit and stare at the laminated menu was a moment to breathe and casually make a decision without having to compromise with a husband or guide her children, which is why it was so irritating to be interrupted. From the other side of her menu, a flummy voice asked, Spare any change? Melissa tilted the menu just enough to see the raggedy man standing behind it, next to her booth, ashen gray skin covered with pockmarks, hair stringy and disheveled. His clothes were no better, looking like they had been hung up on a clothesline and spattered with mud. Melissa held the menu closer to her as a shield, eyes darting past the man to scan the restaurant for signs of help. No server walked the floor, though, leaving Melissa feeling exposed and wondering at the incompetence that allowed the beggar inside. No, sorry, I, I don't have... I only have credit cards, she said, chagrined. She held the menu up towards her mouth as she spoke, trying to keep their breath particles from interacting. Come on, the man leaned forward, close enough that Melissa could see the burst blood vessels in his eyes. Nice place like this, you gotta have a few bucks. Even as Melissa shrank from the man, she could feel it emboldening him, her discomfort and fear causing him to swell as if he was one of the ticks that surely scuttled across his body. Uh, Let me check. Melissa held the menu higher hoping to block the beggar's vision as she reached into her purse, searching for her smartphone. But who would she call? What would she say? There's a man here asking for a bit of charity. There's a man in a public place that doesn't belong in the same space as her because he has no money. That she was being interrupted in one of the few moments of her life that she had to be alone. It was, she realized, this last one that truly bothered her. When she returned from the depths of her purse, there was a leer on the man's face that Melissa inferred as his intent, to rob her of this simple moment of comfort, to intimidate her into giving her money, or perhaps just for the pleasure of discomforting her. No, she lied, then stopped herself. I mean, I do have a few dollars, but I'm not going to give them to you. As Melissa uttered these words of truth, she lowered the menu slightly, bringing down the barricade, even as the man's eyes hardened and bore into her. You've wandered in here and interrupted me while... 
As Melissa continued in her explanation, the beggar seemed to enlarge, straightening and swelling as if something was pushing up from his feet, surging from the ground, up his legs, until it threw his head back and then forward, surging into a stream of vomit that splattered into her. She barely had a moment to close her mouth and eyes as the warm, chunky flow covered her face, splattered across all of her, covering her in a dirty film like an oil spill. Finally, if too late, a policeman appeared behind the man and grabbed his arms, forcing his elbows behind his back, slamming his face into the table. His anger collided with Melissa's stupefaction, leaving her speechless as the officer yelled at the vagrant, throttling him in a way that would have shocked Melissa if she hadn't already been astonished beyond words. The policeman uttered apologies to her, saving most of his energy and vocabulary to drag the homeless man away. As the pair receded, Melissa could feel the restaurant staff closing in, preparing comfort and clean wipes. Before they could, though, the vomiter looked her in the eye one last time and said, Thanks for the change, lady. Melissa could only wonder what he meant. Later, Aggie McPherson wondered at the transformation. Even by the famously poor standards of driver's license, the woman in the laminated photo ID was beautiful, even striking. The woman sitting across the desk from her bore only the slightest resemblance. Her appearance was such that when she burst in, Aggie considered adding the words by appointment only under the heading Aggie McPherson Spectral Analysis on the pebbled glass of the office door. However, the shell of what was once Melissa Burbage had pushed her way in without warning. Even Gladys, tall enough to be intimidating, beautiful enough to give pause to the most determined, didn't have time to rise from her receptionist desk to stop Miss Burbage. While Aggie didn't think of herself as a woman without compassion, this was a place of business. Her business. The woman who had come into it, with stringy hair and parked marked face, calling for assistance with a voice that was somehow both cracked and flummy, clothes that were gray and dirty as the rest of her, appeared as if she needed medical help, or a homeless shelter, or both neither of which Aggie's agency was suited to provide. Aggie was also mildly repulsed by the invading presence, but self-aware enough to know this was a byproduct of her own vanity. Her bobbed hair, natty seersucker suit, the polished nails, these things didn't happen by accident. It was easier to clean herself than her well-maintained office, though, so she prepared to physically remove the stranger. The earnest pleading in Miss Burbage's tone, though, made Aggie stop and listen. When Miss Burbage produced her driver's license, it became clear that she had exactly the kind of problem Aggie might help with. The fact Miss Burbage also produced her checkbook helped. Many people had walked through Aggie's door having haunted by nightmares not meant for men, some drained of vital essences by ethereal parasites, others plagued by nocturnal visitations, hungry ghosts, minor demons. So Mrs. Burbage's tale wasn't unfamiliar to her. Even so, listening to Miss Burbage describe being vomited on by a vagrant caused Aggie's toes to curl. However, 
it did make it clear to Aggie that it, this was the beginning of Mrs. Burbage's transformation. Nothing's working for me, Miss Burbage fruitlessly pushed her stringy hair out of her face. I've been to every kind of doctor, specialist, dietitian. None of them have found anything wrong with me. Melissa paused on the edge of tears. Aggie handed her a handkerchief, encouraging her to continue. She tried not to think about the upholstery of the chair Miss Burbage was sitting in. Drying her eyes, Miss Burbage continued in frustration. Even simple things like bathing and combing my hair don't do any good. I just end up... Mrs. Burbage waved the handkerchief over the wreckage of herself. Looking like this. Aggie was familiar with the physical toll lingering disease could bring her, and how sometimes tending the things you could helped with the things you couldn't. A bit of makeup to bring out the features in a pallid face, shaving off hair when it started to come out in clumps, a blanket to hide withered legs. To be robbed of that simple comfort struck Aggie as cruel. Instead of focusing on what others might think of as an impossible transformation, though, Aggie asked, How are you feeling? Terrible. I'm exhausted all the time. I can't do my job or look after my family without feeling like I, I need a thousand-year nap. I could barely find my way here. She wouldn't be the first person to have a hard time finding her way to Aggie McPherson's office, but that was a different story. She had found her way here, though, which might be the best indication that Aggie could help her. She'd need more, though, so asked, what, what is it that you do? I'm the dean of medicine at Dunhill University. While Aggie could see a connection between medicine and disease, she didn't see an immediate connection there, so asked, And your family? Everyone doing okay? Any sudden tragedies or problems? It's just me and my husband and our three girls. Jonesy is about to head off to college, which is a bit tough, but we're managing it. Not much to go on there, which made Aggie wonder out loud, This is clearly abnormal, but typically my offices handle a different sort of problem. I was told you handle hauntings, ghosts, specters, that kind of thing. Aggie eyed the clearly well-informed Miss Burbage. That's correct. Isn't a spiritual possession just the haunting of a person rather than a place? Aggie tilted her head as if moving a prism through which she viewed Mrs. Burbage, trying to see past the tattered visage. She began to think she might like Miss Burbage. I suppose that argument could be made, but possessions tend to have a more diabolic component, and I'm not sure that's what we're dealing with here. This might be some kind of curse or hex, it's hard to tell without being able to examine the point of origin. Then you can find the man who did this. You expect me to find a homeless man in a city of millions. Miss Burbage looked at Aggie with undisguised hope, tempered by the clear, high expectations of one professional to another. I was told you're very good. Aggie smiled. She did like Mrs. Burbage. Very well. 
I will begin today. Please leave your contact information with Gladys on your way out. She can discuss my rates. If they're acceptable to you, I'll be in touch. Miss Burbage clutched what was once most likely a very nice purse to her chest. Both its surface and the smile she gave Aggie cracked and gray. Thank you. Aggie tried to ignore the tears forming in Mrs. Burbage's eyes. Before those could reach a heavy enough state to fall, Aggie briskly stood up from her desk and escorted Mrs. Burbage to her office door, opening it to reveal the smiling Gladys. Aggie's secretary took her newest client by the hand and sat her down to take her information. Aggie closed her own door and breathed a sigh of relief. She may like Mrs. Burbage, but she didn't want to share tears with her. Gladys was much better suited to that end of the work. It was too bad that she couldn't help Aggie with casework outside the office. Aggie busied herself with a bit of research and contemplation on what might be vexing Miss Burbage until she heard the client leave. Only when that emotional maelstrom departed did she poke her head out to the reception room. Is she gone? Under the perfectly coiffed blonde hair that Aggie could never fail to admire, Gladys raised an eyebrow at her boss. After inspecting her for humanity, she pretended to brush something off the sweater of her Coco Chanel day suit and responded, She's a lovely woman, and she's agreed to all the usual terms. Aggie breathed a sigh of relief, watching the entrance as if Miss Burbage might return. Well, that's good. Any thoughts on Melissa's Burbage after spending some time with her? Gladys, the friendliest, kindest person Aggie had ever known, including her mother, looked right at Aggie with her impossibly blue eyes and said, That lady isn't going to make it.